Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Women's Social Club chapters are open now in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, D.C., Denver, Jacksonville, Florida, Memphis, Miami, New York City, Pasadena, California, Wilmington, North Carolina, with multiple chapters in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the surrounding areas. If you're in those cities, come join us at thewomensocialclub.co. And if you don't hear your location, visit our website and click start your own chapter. We'll see you soon and let's get to the show. I'm so grateful that we live in a time where those roles are shifting and women are feeling more empowered to not only earn money, but talk about it. And so many families, the women are the primary breadwinners, which is really cool to see. The wage gap is real. We all see it. We've all experienced it. Hopefully we're heading in a direction where it's not as big of an issue Mm -hmm. in the future, but as long as it's going on, we still have to keep talking about it. So I'm a hustler, streamless, love dealers, I'm that kind of girl. Work hard, play hard, for my own heart, might just rule the world. Welcome to the Women's Social Club, a women-supporting women community where we make it easier to connect with new friends and our communities while supporting our local women-owned businesses. I'm Hannah Weisberg, founder and CEO of WSC. And on the show today, let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, money. And when I say favorite, I mean that in the most sarcastic way possible because I know it's a topic that we tend to avoid. Here are some statistics I've found on money. According to USA Today, parents pay boys twice as much allowance as girls. Women earn on average between 77 and 89 cents for every dollar that a man earns. Between 2014 and 2019, there was a 21% increase in women-owned businesses, according to American Express. And finally, according to Credit Karma, women are twice as likely as men to associate negative emotions with their finances. Is it any wonder we have a hard time talking about finances? Well, my guest today is Chrissy DeNoyer, CPA at Above the Books. And above stands for accounting and back office value for entrepreneurs. Chrissy presented at a WSC event last year, and she had us on the edge of our seats, partly because of the educational content, but a lot had to do with her story to get to where she is today. We grew up very, very poor. There were times I experienced homelessness as a child. We lived in homeless shelter. We didn't have food to eat. We didn't have electricity and lots of things like that. And my parents, needless to say, did not know how to manage money. We didn't have a car ever growing up. Even to this day, my parents have never bought a vehicle because they couldn't afford to. Yeah, Finances still have not become a thing. No bank accounts anywhere. I didn't know how to write a check. I didn't know how to do any of those things. There was a money bucket, which was not a very big bucket. It was more of like a small little desktop pail. And, you know, when they would get paid, they would go to Ace Check Cashing, get their little cash back and come home and put it in the money bucket and you divvy it out. You'd go pay the landlord rent. Mm -hmm. You'd go take some of it to the grocery store to pay the electric bill at the customer service counter. Maybe go to the grocery store and buy some stuff. And that was that. Chrissy joined the Navy the summer after she graduated high school and soon had a regular paycheck. Meals were covered, housing was covered, and she felt like she had a lot of money. She even met her husband in the Navy. 
We were just kind of bebopping along. We eventually got an apartment together. I got out of the Navy and started working an accounting job. And we started hanging out with different people. We joined this CrossFit gym and there were all these people there that didn't have Navy paychecks and they had different standards of living. Oh, yeah. And we got into this like creep of lifestyle where we were spending more and more and felt like we were keeping up with the Joneses. He bought a motorcycle and then he bought another motorcycle and then I got a new car and then he got a brand new truck and our friends wanted to go out downtown and get bottle service. So that's what we did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things. And before we knew it, we had so much debt. We didn't have student loans, but we had close to six figures in debt over a couple of years that came out of nowhere seemingly, but we were living it up. We got married in 2009, and we decided, because I grew up the way that I did and he didn't have a lot either, we decided just because we can't have this big elaborate wedding that our parents paid for doesn't mean we can't have the elaborate wedding. So we saved and saved. In total, I think we spent close to $40,000, and we saved about 22000 So the rest of it just went right on credit cards. And oh so here God. we are, newly married, starting our lives together, had this beautiful wedding that everybody enjoyed. And we woke up the morning after our wedding and we're like, what the heck was that for? That was for yep. everybody else. It was not worth it. With beautiful pictures, good memories, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't worth the amount of money we spent at that age or the debt that we went into over it. So that was kind of the point where we're like, okay. Yeah, it's time to start getting things in order. And so we did. I can see that. I mean, it's really hard. I mean, the social pressure for keeping up, it, mm-hmm. it's very subtle. It's not something that happens super quickly. I feel like it sneaks up on you. It does. It's such an anxious feeling. Too. Yeah. And so once we decided that we were going to change things, one of the first things I did, I went to my bank mm-hmm. and I took out a debt consolidation loan. And we went back and forth for quite a bit because they didn't want to prove me for a loan to consolidate all of these things, but they eventually did. But one of the caveats was that we had to, well, the loan was in my name, not Mike's, because we didn't have joint accounts just yet. I had to close my credit card account and cut it up and get rid of it. They're like, we'll give you a loan, but you cannot have this credit card anymore. I took out a debt consolidation loan, consolidating all the debt, mine and his, and the payment was $1,086.25 a month for five years, wow. which was a lot. Plus, we still had a big truck payment. Yeah. But we were committed. We we're not going to go into any more credit card payments. So we said, it's a big payment, but we're going to do it. We're going to pay it off. And I'll never forget that amount because as a 20-something, that was a lot. Would you say that you took the lead or was it something that you guys kind of did together? We've always kind of been on the same page for a lot of things, but I would say in that situation, I was the one who took the lead and he was all for it. So I never got a lot of pushback from him as far as continuing to spend and that sort of thing. We're definitely on the same page in that regard. We wanted a lot more of a future for ourselves than the future that we were currently setting up. Times have changed so much in terms of finances, Mm -hmm. couples, just all of it. And when Brian and I got married during that season, that was 12 years ago. And I feel like everyone combined finances back then. So before we were even married, I mean, we were engaged. We would just move to Boston and we just combined our incomes. And prior to that, I was really good at balancing and keeping track of my money, partially because that was my job. So I did account management 
project management for my clients. So keeping track of budgets and things like that, that's something that came supernatural. And combining that with someone else who does it in a totally different way and who comes, I mean, he works in finance, so that was fun. But we did it and we worked through it. And so now we have a joint account, but now it's like very no, no, no. People don't have joint accounts. What's your take on that? Joint finances are such a hot topic <laughs> for so many people. I know you said 12 years ago is when you guys joined. And so you would have been what in your mid to late 20s at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. And so I think part of what you're probably experiencing is your age, right? You know, when people are younger, myself included, Mike and I did not get married until 2009. So we were 26 and 28 at the time. And by then we had kind of Everything was together. We didn't have a joint account officially until after we got married. We got insurance together and we got a banking account together after we got married. But we kind of operated as though all of our money was the same. And I think so much of that was just a reflection of the way that we lived our lives together and the Mm -hmm. fact that we had nothing coming in. And so we kind of always operated as though what's mine is yours and yours is mine and we're just doing this all together. But we weren't in the position that you're in where you had your own money and you'd been managing your own money. And then along comes this other person who has their own way of doing things. And now you have to figure out how to join it. And so it's tricky. I will say that the older you get, the more you have, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. right? And so then it becomes harder and harder to join finances. There's certainly pros and cons to keeping them separate, right? So Mm -hmm. when you keep your finances separate, you have a lot more flexibility and freedom to spend your money how you want. And nobody's going to ask you questions about it, right? But then it gets complicated. How do you decide who's paying for dinner? I have friends that Venmo each other back and forth several times a week. And it's convoluted. You know, it can get really complicated. And then on the other side of it, there can create an environment of inequality, maybe mistrust in a little bit in a relationship, albeit unintentional. You know, if you and your spouse do not completely join finances and one person makes more than the other, how do you decide who contributes what to the family fund to pay the bills? Who gets more spending money? Does the person who's staying home with the children and doing things around the house get a smaller pot to Mm -hmm. spend from and enjoy just because they are not the one who's earning the paycheck. And I will say that, and, you know, my opinions are my own. Different people have different opinions. But when you enter into a relationship, you're deciding to do things together, right? Unless you have a prenup Mm -hmm. saying this is how we're going to do our finances, the state of North Carolina or whatever state you're in, we're in North Carolina, they have a prenup for you, right? Yeah. So they say everything that you earn while you're in a relationship, everything that you earn that's, you know, for the benefit of the marriage mm-hmm. gets split 50-50. I personally think when you decide to join lives together, you split things 50-50, whether you earn it 50-50 or whether you spend it exactly equally. I'm all for joining, but that's not to say that what you had prior to the marriage shouldn't be yours going forward. I like now how women are taking more control over their finances because it is easy, especially if you work inside the home and you are the caregiver and the provider for everything. 
inside the home, but you aren't getting a paycheck, it can just be very overwhelming and you can feel very stuck. I'm very happy to see younger women and the roles of money coming into um, a little bit of a different place. And I think there's a lot of importance in having the conversations about things that make you uncomfortable, even in a marriage, you Mm -hmm. know, that's the person you're supposed to be most vulnerable with, but it doesn't mean that all conversations are easy topics. But that's when it's important to have the conversations, figure out what your goals are. What do we want our future to look like? You know, do we want to raise a family and make sure that we have financial independence for ourselves and our children? Do we want to not have children? Do we want to give a lot of money to charity? Do we want to work as little as possible and travel the world? What are our goals? What do we want our lives to look like? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like financially? And get real specific with the questions. If one spouse is a high earner and the other one's not as high of an earner, how does that look? Does one person contribute more to the household fund than Mm -hmm. the other? Does everything go in the pot and get split right down the middle like I suggested prior? What does that look like for your family? And if you can't get on the same page and you're not seeing eye to eye on that, then it's not a bad idea to, you know, have some professional assistance. Mm-hmm. That's what counselors and marriage counselors and things like that are for. It's not always to help you work through a cheating spouse situation right. or something like that. It's the things that you're not communicating clearly on and that you're maybe not seeing eye to eye on to help you gain clarity. And money is such a big topic and such a point of contention in many relationships because people are not comfortable having the conversations to get on the same page. And I think a lot of that comes down to mindset. We all come from very different backgrounds and what we know about money. We have different emotional blocks with money and mental blocks and all of that. What would be your recommendation or what helped you with shifting your mindset in a healthier way? Well, for us, all of that change kind of surrounded a time in our life. And we didn't quite realize it at the time, but shortly after we decided to make those changes, we had a lot of other changes coming down the pipeline. My husband shifted into a different career within the military, and then we ultimately moved to North Carolina. We're now living in a place that's a lot more affordable. We have a whole new friend group. In that regard, it was easy for us to pull away from the situation that maybe was a little more toxic for us in terms of mindset. Not that there was anything wrong with the way anybody else was leading their own lives, but the way that we were guiding our own in response just wasn't a good place for us. We took on some of Dave Ramsey's methods. I think he has some methods that are good for some, and Mm -hmm. at that point of our lives, some of his teachings were fine to kind of head us in the right direction. Now they don't. (laughs) They don't suit us very well. And I think there's a lot of things that he teaches that I don't agree with. Yeah. But I think the main message was getting a handle on knowing what your money's doing. And so that was very helpful for us. The mindset shift that we had was kind of forced upon us. But I think in a different scenario, we might have surrounded ourselves with people who are more like-minded. We might have been more open to have these conversations, to know that, yes, we were in debt, but other people were too. Maybe if we knew that some of our friends were also in debt, that we could, you know, collectively decide to do less expensive outings or collectively decide to spend our Saturday nights planning for the future instead of at bottle service or something like that. Moving to North Carolina really made that easy for us. 
But I think if we were at a time in our lives or, you know, in the culture where those things were talked about more openly and more vulnerably, I think that would have gone a long way for us. Let's take a break to tell you about our sponsor, Industrious. Industrious is your all-in-one solution for co-working, private offices, and on-demand meeting space. With over 160 locations globally, Industrious is committed to providing an unparalleled work experience, all-inclusive amenities, and flexible terms to support teams of all sizes and stages. Just like Women's Social Club, Industrious is all about community and connection, and maybe some happy hours as well. Head on over to industriousoffice.com and use promo code WSC for a free week of co-working. That's industriousoffice.com, promo code WSC. All right, let's get back to the show. And that ties so closely with what we were talking about during our workshop. There were, I think, 15 to 20 of us that Mm -hmm. came to that women talking finance workshop and we all came with notebook pen and paper Mm -hmm. ipads taking notes we had like lists of questions Mm -hmm. and we just were open and everyone shared their stuff like real stuff Mm -hmm. real questions very specific like this is what we're doing this is what we're struggling with and it was funny because we all had different strengths and weaknesses as a group right and through your advice. And then we would go around and everyone would be like, oh, I've been through that. And it's amazing because there's so much shame. I feel like, especially with women with money, we don't talk about what we get paid. And I feel like that definitely contributes to like the pay gap. I definitely think there's a networking gap in addition to a pay gap that prevents us. But being open and talking about our questions, our weaknesses and things like that. Why do you think like women struggle so much? I think a lot of that really stems back to kind of the traditional gender roles that couples have had historically. Certainly we still see it a lot in the older generations, right? My own grandparents, my grandfather was the primary earner. My grandmother took care of the home. And they did fine financially and did all the things that you were supposed to do. And they saved for the retirement and all of that stuff. But when my grandfather passed away, they knew that it was coming. And so he prepared my grandmother as much as could. She had her lists and where to find things, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But she didn't know how to manage her money. She didn't know the value of things. She didn't know how much things should cost when something broke and you have to hire somebody to fix it, how much that should cost, you know? So she sold her home and bought a new home because he passed away in that home. I don't want to live there anymore. And I don't want to drive that car anymore. I want to drive a new car. And so the, the money just started to go really, really quickly. And she passed before hers ran out, but not by much. And I think so much of that is just those old school roles of, the women take care of the home mm-hmm. and the children, and the men go out and earn the paycheck and take care of the finances. And I'm so grateful that we live in a time where those roles are shifting and women are feeling more empowered to not only earn money, but talk about it. And so many families, the women are the primary breadwinners, which is really cool to see. But even still, the wage gap is real. We all see it. We've all experienced it. 
hopefully we're heading in a direction where it's not as big of an issue mm-hmm. in the future. But as long as it's going on, we still have to keep talking about it. And I think the only thing that combats shame is vulnerability, right? We yeah. talk about it. We know that we're all in it together. And talking about that finance workshop that we had, I think one of the really cool things was I think everybody had the same experience looking around the room. You kind of have an idea in your mind of what you assume yes. other people, what their position is, right? You're like, oh, well, that person, well, they must be rich. And you kind of assume that other people aren't struggling the way you are. And then when we start having the conversations, then you realize, of course, there are people who are wealthy, but the majority of us have day-to-day struggles and we're all kind of in the same boat. It's really cool when you see that all these people that maybe you had preconceived yeah. ideas about they're not doing heads above what you feel like you should be doing. Exactly. And now I feel like that women are making more money. They are in higher positions and things like that. One of the big topics we talked about was investing. Investing is something that I feel like especially the younger generation of women know leaps and bounds more than like my generation. Definitely. So What would you recommend as far as leaning into investing? Where would you start? What's step one? And then where do you go from there? Step one is knowing what your money is doing. I know that's so elementary and so basic, but so many people don't even look at their checking accounts. They'll say, you know, they might check their balance. And then especially some of the younger generations, honestly, they'll check their account balance. Say, oh, I got enough to go to the mall or I have enough to go out tonight and off they go. I think a very, very, very important piece, I cannot stress that enough, is looking at it (laughs) regularly. If you've never done that experiment before, it's a good practice to have and a good thing to always do, no matter what financial bracket you move into, is to look at your money and categorize it. And most online bankings have a system where you can say, okay, this is groceries, this is utilities, this is my mortgage payment, this is restaurants. And you can categorize things that way. And I think Once you get a picture of where your money is going and how you're spending it, it's very impactful for making decisions going forward. Take a look at everything, figure out where it's going, spend some time with that, whether you do it for a month or two going future focused, or maybe you go back to the last six months or the last year and see month over month where your money has been going. You're figuring some things out about yourself and you're looking and you're saying, oh, well, maybe I didn't realize that. I was spending $800 a month in restaurants and $350 a month on beauty items that, what do you have to show for it? From there, I think it's really important to budget. Unless you're a multimillionaire, I think most people can benefit from budgeting. Take all those expenses that you have now mapped out and put them in a list. Make a list of everything that you know is going out in a month and everything that you know is coming in in a month. You compare your ins to your outs, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty pretty simple, right? But on that list of money going out, right next to it, if it's a need or if it's a want. And then once you have your list of everything going out, you have what you have coming in, you have what you have going out and whatever's left, that's what you're really allocating between spending and saving. But what do most people do? They spend. And then at the end of the month, how much is left? Well, that's how much we're going to save. It's not as much as I wanted it to be this month, but here we are. I've spent a little more than I wanted to. So once you have your list of needs versus wants, you can see how much you're saving versus spending. Then you can start allocating different percentages. Okay. Um, So the David Ramsey you mentioned, 
<laughs> you once used his methods. Yes. But you don't necessarily agree with them now or all of them. What don't you agree with? Well, first of all, I won't say that I'm an expert on all of his methods. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of people that know a whole lot more about his teachings than I do. I will say, though, one of his primary teachings, especially when you're trying to get out of debt, is the envelope method, where basically you divide your money into buckets and you take out cash and you put it in envelopes and you spend them accordingly. This envelope is for groceries, this envelope is for gas, and so on. And it doesn't really allow much room for living your life. If yeah. you're somebody who came from the military, like myself and my husband, then maybe it's really easy to be that strict with yourself and do things at a really extreme level. We had some really extreme things that we did when we were getting out of debt and they worked for us and I don't regret them, but I, they're not necessarily things that I would encourage for other people because then it feels punitive. It feels mm -hmm. like you're working hard, you're getting up and you're sacrificing so much every day to earn a living, to take care of yourself and your family, and you don't really have a whole lot to show for it because you're slogging through this debt. I think one of the things that he says is when you're getting out of debt, unless you're working in a restaurant, you don't deserve to be in one. And that's just not fair. That's not fair to people living normal everyday lives. There's a lot of socioeconomic, political, race, mm -hmm. gender, affluent factors that come into one person's financial situation versus another and one person's ability to earn more or change their circumstances than somebody else. And he doesn't really give a lot of credence to some of those factors. That's kind of some of the reasons yeah. that I don't necessarily stand behind him now as much. But I do think there's a lot of value in setting a budget for yourself yeah. and sticking to it. Do you think in terms of investing in the market or mm -hmm. real estate, do you have any tips there. Definitely. In terms of investing in the market, you know, if you're in debt, you want to get rid of your debt first, right? Things with the highest interest rate, pay those off first. You want to create an emergency fund, three to six months of whatever your needs category is. You want to have that an emergency fund. From there, let's start putting some money away. If you have an employer who matches a 401k, mm. the very first thing you want to do is make sure that you're putting enough in the 401k, 403b, whatever type of account they have to earn 100% of that match. If they're willing to put in 5% of your salary, as long as you do, you better be putting that 5% in because you'll never get in any other account. You'll never get returns like 100% match. Yeah. So that's what you want to do first and foremost. A Roth IRA is a really great investment vehicle for retirement. Roth IRA, you take after-tax money. You can contribute up to $6,000 a month. If you're over 50, you can do an extra $1,000. So you can do $7,000 a month. And that money then grows tax-free. And so when you are of retirement age, you can take it out tax-free. There are traditional IRAs that you can do. You can do, I believe it's, I have to double check the numbers because they change every year. I can't remember if it's eighteen five or 19000 that you can do into a 401k or 403b for 2022 you can contribute up to that amount in those accounts, or you can do a traditional investment account where you go to Fidelity or you go to Vanguard or you go to one of these big brokerage houses and you open a tax. It's not a tax advantaged account like your retirement accounts are, but it's an account that will grow and is an important piece to have in your retirement mix because 
you'll pay less tax on that money than you would on your 401k when the time comes. So it's important to kind of have a good mix. Yes. If you are somebody who's really interested in real estate and you don't feel comfortable, you can invest in a REIT, which is kind of like a mutual fund for real estate, REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. So you get kind of a pooling of investments. Mm. Um, if you go to Vanguard or Fidelity or any of the big brokerage houses, they have a list of ones that you can choose from, just like you can pick any sort of stock oh, wow. off the list. You can invest in real estate that way. Speaking of real estate specifically, I know there's a lot of pressure to buy a home, Yes, right? If you're not a homeowner and you're of a certain age, you feel like you should be a homeowner. But it's hard because especially in the market that we're coming out of, oh my God. You know, people couldn't afford the homes that they wanted, but felt pressured yeah. because A, the rates were so low. It's the American dream. You buy a house and build a white picket fence yes. and you have two and a half kids and a golden retriever. That's what we do. But that's not always the best choice for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Some people are paying more in mortgage interest than they would be in rent. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong with renting a home. There's a lot of advantages that come from renting a home. You're not responsible for property tax and interest, and you're not responsible for repairs and maintenance. And when the HVAC goes out and when the roof needs replacing and when a hurricane comes and blows down the fence, you're not responsible for any of that stuff. So. You live within your means. You set a monthly housing budget that you're comfortable with. If you are a single person, there's certainly a disadvantage for single people in the market. It's easier to afford a mortgage when you have two incomes going into it. But if you are a person who is not full income at this point, maybe yet, maybe you don't want to be, certainly okay to like maybe get a roommate, bring somebody else in to help split the bills. Or get something smaller that you can afford. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. And I think there's a big push for people to buy homes. And it's not the best solution for everybody. I totally agree. There are more people moving towards that renting lifestyle. I mean, there are people that I follow who are millionaires and they rent because Absolutely. it just makes more sense for their lifestyle and for where they want to live, it just doesn't make financial sense for them to put all of their money into their house. So for today, where if someone is in debt, if someone is having trouble with their finances, what's the very first place you would start in terms of getting back on track? I think the first thing is like we talked about digging in and taking a look at it, right? I know it okay. can be overwhelming. But getting vulnerable and asking questions. There's a lot of online resources that are really good. Podcasts and Instagram account. Clever Girl Finance is a good one. LVEST is a yes. good one. Brown Ambition, Money with Katie. These are all really good podcasts and Instagram that specifically focus on personal finance and give a lot of takeaways. And there's so much that we could dig into here, mm -hmm. but obviously we don't have the time for that. And this is not a personal finance <laughs> podcast. So there's a lot of really good resources there. But that's also a place where if you don't feel like you have a community where you feel comfortable asking those questions, mm -hmm. it's so easy to go and ask an anonymous question to a professional stranger online. Yes. A question, maybe you think it's a silly question, but you can throw it no. out there. That's the time to be a keyboard warrior is when you're asking questions and you really want to learn. Figuring out what your goals are. Figuring out what your priorities are. If your goal is to retire when you're 35, then maybe it doesn't make sense for you to spend $300 a month on beauty items in lieu of contributing to 
your savings your or investment account. Right? Yes. That money that's going to compound over time. The real magic in having your money make money is doing it early and often, right? We all know if you started your retirement account oh when God. you were 17, then you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 35 or whatever the case study always is. But so many of us didn't start at no. 18. Or we didn't have the knowledge to, we didn't have the right circumstances, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're 60 years old and you just had a major health event and, you know, you're wiped out and you're starting over. That's okay. It's not you know, too late. It's not too late. You do what you can when you can, but paying attention to it and having conversations around it are the things that I think bring it into focus and help you to make better decisions and ones that align with your goals, not the goals of the people around yes, you. I love that. So when it comes to relationships and money, we're talking about how that can be a big stressor. But one thing is if you are in the process of ending a relationship mm -hmm. where your finances are combined, do you have a recommendation for a place to start with that? Would you personally look into making changes? Would you have someone who's a professional help you? Like what would be your step one? Wow. That, I mean, that's a pretty loaded question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've not been in that situation personally, thankfully. If ever I found myself in that position, I would probably want to educate myself first. What are the rules in my state? Do I have a prenuptial agreement? If I do not, what are the rules of the state that I live in? What are they going to say that I'm entitled to? Because a lot of times, if I'm the woman going into a divorce scenario, unfortunately, the vast majority have fewer assets or their earnings are lower than, yes. you know, maybe their male counterpart. And if it's that type of relationship with that, let's crunch some numbers. Let's make some mental lists some physical lists of what do we have that we share together? What are our debts? Because debts get split two ways too. And then let's go and have a conversation with an attorney. Many attorneys do not charge you for an initial consultation just to get a little bit of information. And they could direct much more specifically as to how to proceed. Because especially when there's children involved, mm -hmm. there are some very specific actions that people may need to take. And they're going to be specific to their personal financial situation, their family dynamic, the state that they live in, and maybe some other things that influence and eternally like that would say, okay, well, you need to open this account. You need to shift this amount of money over. Okay. You need to write down these things. It'll get really, really specific. But if you don't have an idea of what all is at stake, I think a good place to start is look around you, make a list, and then go from there. So if somebody does want to reach out to you, they do want to follow up and ask some questions. What's the best way for them to follow? You can find me on Instagram. I am at Chrissy Denoyer. I am not a big social media person, though. <laughs> <laughs> I keep up with people, but I don't post a whole lot. So if you're looking for somebody who's posting a lot of really good, just highbrow stuff, some of those accounts that I mentioned a mm -hmm. few minutes ago, they're better for that than mm -hmm. me. I do have a website that you can connect with me yes. through, though. It is www.abovethebooks.com, and I'm happy to have conversations surrounding personal finance. Let's get together for coffee. Let's get together for a hike. Let's mm -hmm. have the conversations. If you need help in your business with the bookkeeping and the compliance and the tax stuff, I'm more than happy to have those conversations too. That's where I really like to work with people. But I really just want to 
make women feel comfortable asking the questions, yes. having the conversations and getting a handle on their own finances. And if you are in the central North Carolina, Raleigh triangle area, I know Hannah, we talked about doing a budgeting workshop yes. in the new year. So we don't, as of the date of this recording, we don't have that scheduled yes, yet, but, but when this comes coming. out, when this comes out, we'll have something on the calendar. So check out the Women's Social Club website for that budgeting workshop yes. in the new year. And we can definitely dig deeper into some specifics. That sounds awesome. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming Thank by you for today. Me. That was Chrissy DeNoyer, who again you can find at AboveTheBooks.com. Thank you, Chrissy, for all of the great tips, and we'll be sure to have you back at an event soon. And a few ways to follow Women's Social Club. One, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. And two, you can visit thewomensocialclub.co and find the community that's closest to you. If there's nothing close to you, please let us know. And third, follow us on social media where you'll find clips of this podcast as well as Women's Social Club's events throughout the country. We're at Women's Social Club on both Instagram and TikTok and at The Women's Social Club on Facebook. This podcast is edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Hannah Weisberg, and on behalf of everyone at The Women's Social Club, we can't wait to welcome you into our sisterhood. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.